0: my extraordinary friends welcome back for our second episode of extraordinary ordinary thank you so much for listening and for all your feedback after the first episode kate is a very fabulous lady and i'm so glad so many of you got to get to know her a little bit better even mutual friends of ours were amazed by all of her accomplishments and travels before we knew her And I think my favourite bit of feedback was that Kate's mum loved being reminded of just how much Kate had achieved, and she took the opportunity to tell her how proud she was of her. Kate continues to run daily workouts on Facebook Live for free, so if you need some friendly chat while you get a glisten on, I highly recommend joining the group via Kate's Facebook page. It's Fresh Air Health and Fitness. Now, do you remember when I released the last episode, I talked about what was helping me stay grounded while we are all living in lockdown? Yeah, well, screw that. If I'm honest with you, the last few weeks have been rough. I'm okay, but the days have just felt so relentlessly the same. I've been teary. I've been occasionally irrational, though I still maintain that I'm rational. I just need to do a better job of explaining myself. I've been unmotivated and listless. I've completely shut out the news, and I haven't even been able to listen to podcasts. I found it so hard to keep up with the things that I know help me feel better. Add to that extended time with the cherubs, uninterrupted time with the chatter in my anxiety-prone head, and it's just been a bit of a roller coaster. We did get out last week as a family to visit some local waterfalls, and that really helped clear the fog and change the routine up a bit. And then for Mother's Day, we held a family Devonshire tea over Zoom, including the making and baking of the scones all at the same time, I even made gluten-free scones that didn't taste like cardboard, which is a total win. And the time with the fan ban was a balm for my soul. But I still wish I'd been able to actually see my mum. I was also waiting for my puppy to arrive. There's still no freaking puppy. I'm so confused. It's not like it wouldn't have been a perfect opportunity. Anyway, I just keep thinking, I just need to know when there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. Except now we know that things are easing up and we can visit our family and friends. And when my friend called me to say that school was going back, my first reaction was, I'm not ready. What strange kind of head fuckery is this? But there have definitely been some benefits to staying home. My husband's here more. Even though he's still working, he's not doing the same three to four hour commute every day, so he's here and he's not exhausted. And then the kids and I can walk down to the shed where he's working and have a visit in the middle of the day. My daughter, who's bitten her nails since she had teeth, has stopped and her nails are growing. So something that was causing her anxiety has shifted. The kids are playing more and it's imaginative, constructive play. We're doing fun things like camping in the backyard and going on night walks because the pressure is off and it feels like we have the time and the bandwidth for adventures after dark. I launched a freaking podcast. I think the things I've been missing are actually my connections family obviously but my friends are my outlet they're my decompression time I process my ideas emotions and events through discussing them and it's just not the same in house party especially with our internet connection so now that we've had this collective pause we've had the chance to exhale and catch up I'm going to give some thought to how I want to re-enter the world I'm going to decide which things from the before times are not coming back in and which things I need to focus more of my attention on. What have I really enjoyed about being at home with the kids and which parts of that can I keep moving forward? It's not all over yet. There's still a way to go before life as we know it reappears. But I'm determined to walk into it consciously and make sure it's the life I'm choosing. All the other stuff is just a distraction. I still want a puppy though. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts. What have you been enjoying about your time at home? What are you worried about having come back in? And what are you looking forward to welcoming back? On that note, let me introduce you to Camilla, because we can all do with a little bit of Camilla in our lives. This chat, just like the one with Kate, happened late last year. So we're free and easy. Camilla popped over once the kidlets were all asleep, and we really covered some ground in this conversation. I've edited nearly 40 minutes of content out already, and it's still over an hour and a half long, so don't be afraid to take this one on in a few sessions. We talk about stepping into our personal power, growing up as one of five kids, boob shows and proposals, being a broadcaster, starting your own business, losing a parent, motherhood, including the birth story, because I love them, tricky conversations with our kids, and our visions for life in five years. I want you to pay particular attention to the bit about our kids starting prep this year because I'd like to come back at the end of this and have just a little bit of a reflect on what we chatted about. Camilla is a born storyteller and was really generous and honest in her responses so I hope you all enjoy your time getting to know Camilla as much as I did.
1: <laughs> I'll start dropping f-bombs in there
0: that is what I'm after my friend Nebulous. so welcome Camilla thank you for coming on the extraordinary ordinary podcast Thank you for having me. I'm excited to
1: be here and chat to you, my friend. <laughs>
0: oh, it's been a long time coming. No one told me that the hardest bit about doing a podcast was being in the same room as somebody else for an hour without any interruptions. I'm just going to so, stare at you and be really creepy. I know. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll, 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 that's what the red wine's for. Yes.
1: So have you had a ordinary week or an extraordinary week? I have had an extraordinary week in the sense that I've been making an effort to step into my personal power a bit more. How two weeks ago I would have thought someone who said personal power was a big wanker. Mm. But I have – I'm on the tail end of a a course that really kind of teaches you to focus on the stories that you've been telling yourself for so long and how they're not serving you. Yeah. And so now that I'm at the end of that, I'm really looking at my days and my weeks – in a different light Mm -hmm. so I had my son finish his transition for prep and that was that was a big achievement for him he sometimes takes a bit of time to uh, adapt to new situations and he came home and you could just see that he had absorbed so much and just over that period of time you see this little person grow into you know yeah a bigger person that is really starting to understand concepts and um and that's exciting and that's Mm -hmm. You know, you feel a sense of achievement as a parent when you start to see this little person evolving. Yeah. So that's quite special. And I think, yeah, with this work that I've been doing on myself, you start to notice those, inverted commas, small things, and mm-hmm. they're the big things that yeah. make the difference. Yeah. So, yeah, so in that regard, it's been really, really great. And, I, yeah, I feel like it's I'm in a period of transformation and, okay. yeah, it's exciting.
0: Wow. That I really like that, that pat on the back you've just given yourself. In yeah. That. Like shit, yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. You just got a kid to prep, yeah, and like not only that, he's he's going to do it. Like, yeah, he's going to go, and it's
1: going to be okay. And it's uh, it's tough. I mean, I know he, he said to me. I said, oh, you know, I've, I've got a you know a big without trying to put too much of an emphasis on it. I feel like as. Mum, um, I try and you know you try and say the right things, mm. whatever those right things are, based on what you think is right. <laughs> you know, I've, and I've said to him, oh, I've got you know I've got a big boy school kid next year, and he's like, oh, does that mean I don't get to hang out with you anymore? Mm. And I'm like, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> but I said no, you know. <laughs> um, and I said no, mate. You know, we get to hang out before school. I said we could have breakfast on the deck and you know chat about what you're going to do today or we can mm-hmm. hang out after school and chat on the weekends. So I, yeah. I feel like I need to play a role in this next journey for him and make it okay because it's an exciting time. Yes, it's yeah. scary as hell for everyone. It's not just mm-hmm. transition for the kid. It's transition for the mum and the dad and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone else's lives who, were, who were, who's changing. Um, Big time.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. But you do, you've got to be the grown-up, don't you? Absolutely. It's really hard and not let them wear your stuff around it, it
1: absolutely and yeah. and that, I'm, I'm really mindful of that so
0: yeah
1: cool so far so
0: good <laughs> yeah um what's the course you're doing if you are you happy to
1: absolutely plug it yes so funnily enough when i when i was about 20 i started on channel 31 mm-hmm. as the weather girl not knowing what the hell i was doing <laughs> but this beautiful woman named lisa Corduff me under her wing and she at the time i believe was studying journalism and a few other things and she's one of the smartest ladies i've ever met and she was so vibrant and enthusiastic and you felt like you could make mistakes and it be okay mm-hmm. so i started doing the weather uh, on this um, community news program and then I started reading the news under her guardianship, I guess you'd say, and with Phil Chubb, who was the ex-head um, of ABC News. So it was an amazing opportunity for me, and I really felt like she was a bit of a mentor for me. Mm. So went our separate ways, um, and over the years, Lisa created this amazing brand of, well, a few different things, um, Small Steps Living, Small Steps to Whole Foods, and then came up with this course called Ready for Change and it's an intro 4 week course on just stepping into your personal power and fig- figuring out what the stories are that you tell yourself and really starting to assess whether they're serving you or not and so much more but in essence um, that's what it was and that's kind of that's what I've come to the end of over the last 4 weeks and I just you just look at exp- you look at your day differently and you look yeah. at how you're speaking to yourself and you differently I, up until recently, have looked at myself and my body as two two different things and thinking, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? You know, and I... What I've, are you talking yeah, about? And, just the, and I yep. catch myself out, speaking to myself in a way that I would never speak to anybody. Yeah. And it's yep. that, that voice and kind of catching yourself out and going, how can I reframe that? So instead of, you know, I'm a hot mess mum, mm-hmm. you you know, you change that to, I thrive in a, in a clean environment. And kind of putting that angle on it... Yep. You're giving yourself permission for it, if things to be okay, like even if you know you can't see the floor. Yeah. Um, you know. You should have seen this place like <laughs> ten minutes before you got oh, really. Here. <laughs> are there things in the cupboard that are going to kill me <laughs> if I open the door? Yes. What if you do do not go in the study? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's the thing, like yeah. you know, and I used to when people used to come over, you know, I would straight away apologise for my, the state of my house. Yeah. And. Why? Why am I doing that? Like, yeah. I, I'm always – I'm constantly apologizing for taking up too, too much space. Yeah. Like, like sorry, s- I live here. And yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, of course
1: there's stuff out. Exactly. Or you like feeling here. like, you know, you're pissing everyone off because you know you're taking too long at the convey about in the supermarket oh, yeah. and just everyday stuff that you just yeah. kind of like what where how <laughs> how am i at this point so yeah. it's yeah it's, it's been a really interesting four, and it's only four weeks and i feel like i'm just starting on this kind of new exciting path to getting a bit more confidence back with who i am and, and speaking to myself like a best friend not like a wow. jerk yeah. So, it's been it's been amazing and it's, I'm, you know, four weeks in and that's kind of the end of the intro p- section. Yeah. But yeah, it really kind of turned the light on for me. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to know something funny? Yeah. I've been looking at it. I've been looking at that program. Have and, you?
0: Yeah. And I don't, maybe you got me onto it. I'm not sure, but I've, for some reason, have like came up in like a social media somewhere. Yes. And yeah. Um, Yeah, like I kind of signed up for like a five minute video or whatever they do Uh, to hook you in
1: there, and then I was like, should I maybe? uh, And I haven't done it, but
0: maybe I should just. She,
1: you, yeah, I think you would get a lot out of it. Yeah, just she's she's so unapologetically real, Mm -hmm. and she'll often you know do a live, and there's her beautiful kids in the background climbing all over her patting her head and wanting to do a dance and one of them came out in a bear suit and it was just really funny <laughs> but she just she just doesn't apologize she just kind of embraces the situation and mm-hmm. just constantly reminds you that it's whatever you whatever, wherever you're at it's okay yeah it's where you're yep. at like yeah yeah so that's so cool that makes me happy
0: that you're looking at yeah. it well and do you know the interesting thing like the whole you know the whole thought process behind even starting the podcast was that I i so often sit there going i'm not doing enough i'm not enough and but then you know i want everyone to know that they're okay and so yes i need to turn that inwards but i wanted the podcast to kind of showcase that there's a universality in our individuality i guess like there's you know we're all the same but we're all different and that's okay
1: absolutely Um, i love the concept
0: yeah. yeah so yeah okay a bit of bit of synchronicity there absolutely I, yeah. think,
1: I think this show is really aligned with the message of what she explores mm. like it's yeah interesting
0: oh, mm. there you go. The, the stars are aligning yes how do we know each other
1: well <laughs> when my son was 12 weeks old I received a letter in the mail saying it's now time for you to meet your mother's group and I thought thank Christ because I at that point probably had only showered four times in 12 weeks and I really needed to reach out to some like-minded mums who were also struggling, and I and I needed honesty, and I needed someone to kind of relate to mm-hmm. that wasn't my mum or you know other people who felt like they needed to empathise but didn't quite get it and weren't yeah. in in the middle of you know a Such shitstorm a bubble. as yeah. it? it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walked down the street and turned up at the the community council building and. I'm pretty sure I gravitated towards you as soon as I saw you. I, you know, I thought to myself, well, she she looks safe. She, looks, she I, I feel like I'm not going to be judged. She hasn't like showered either. Looks, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she looks very greasy. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we met at Mother's Group and um, our kids have really gelled and really connected and um, and still, you know, they're, they're doing prep together. So you're on sure that journey are. with me of, you yeah. know. Um, Preppy Mum next year. And um yeah, and, and from there, did we do exercise classes together? Yes. yes fabulous Kate Yes, and we've just had many wines since then. We have. Not
0: enough. We've intended for more wines than we've ever really got around to. Yes. But, you know, there's, there's always many more in the future. <laughs> I was actually thinking today as we did the drop off. I'm like, I think first day of school. Maybe we need like a cocktail brunch type situation. Yeah.
1: For all the mum's. Let's do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, mm. we can make that happen. <laughs> we can
1: research over wine for the wine breakfast. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: we'll need a committee to mm. get together
1: to make the plans. Everyone needs a committee. Yeah. And yeah. a life assistant, I feel like. Oh, my gosh. Mm.
0: Actually, I think, um, I think I'm think i a really good life assistant. I'm finally coming to terms with the fact that maybe I just need to be someone's assistant. Like I don't need to to be the the person running a show but I can be like just the cheerleader Mm. I can see you doing that yeah are you a list maker oh it depends if you're like you like a good list you like I like a list I don't always get through the list and sometimes I write on my list all the things that I've already done so that I can cross them out and feel (laughs) feel good but I'm actually um, much better at organizing other people than i am myself and i think that's because i can kind of see what someone's trying to achieve and what their overall kind of vision is for something Mm. and so i can see where the pieces need to go to make that happen and how to get there yeah but when it comes to my own stuff it's like
1: (laughs) that's that's a unique skill to be able to see that yeah so very good with it absolutely yeah yeah
0: yeah i liked being a pa it was Mm. fun And, look, no, all care no responsibility as well. (laughs) It's a little bit, you know, someone else gets to wear the heat and you just get to, you know, carry a clipboard or something.
1: No, but you're like the arms and legs of of something. Uh, What did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be, well, I wanted to be a firefighter. I actually wanted to be a fireman and I'm not too sure why I wanted to be a fireman over a firefighter, Mm -hmm. but I, I wanted to be a fireman. Do you think the term firefighter was actually
0: part of the vernacular
1: well, as a kid? Well, when I was 10, I thought maybe that I could pee like a man. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and so it was I so thought convenient. maybe I just had to be a man to be a firefighter. And um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't as gender normative. Is that how you. Yeah. as it is now, um, you know, the the terminology and the language. Um, But I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, I wanted to be able to rescue people and, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I don't know where where the um, idea came from, but that was something that I wanted to be for ages.
0: Wow. Yes. Have you ever done any firefighting?
1: No. Okay. But once I almost set the house on fire... So does that count? I could have saved myself. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: kind of like a Munchausen's by proxy type situation.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I lit the fire, but I put it out. Yeah. So I get <laughs> Maybe points. I do need a life assistant to get you safe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after seeing the movie George of the Jungle, I kind of wanted to be someone that lived in the jungle, but not. I wasn't quite sure how that would work out. Okay. Yeah. Um, from a that's, moni- monetary situation. Yeah,
0: it's, logistically that's tough
1: because mm. the jungle is... Yeah,
0: it's a long way to go get new shoes and yeah, that kind of thing. not great Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah. So then I went back to the Firefighter. Okay. Mm. So it was a recurring yes. stream for you. <laughs> uh, never happened. No. So, it's
0: all right. Still time. I'm sure the CFA
1: would take you. Yes. <laughs> Don't tell them about the kitchen. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it the kitchen?
0: Well, I yes. Think, I'm pretty yeah.
1: sure I put a tea towel in the microwave. Anyway, <laughs> I've, I've blocked it out. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. <Why> are you <laughs>
0: friends with me Because <laughs> I'm giggling. I like to giggle. What
1: did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Oh, I wanted to be a park ranger. Mm. Um, but my grandfather told me that to be a park ranger, you had to taste animal's poo. <laughs> so...
1: <laughs> Bloody (laughs) grandpa's. He
0: was the worst. Yeah, you'd have to taste it previously where the animals had (laughs) been.
1: Oh, God. So he has set you on a different path just from that comment. Oh, yeah.
0: And it turns out, like, science is hard and stuff. But yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) really funny. He wanted me to be. About the time Tiger Woods got really big, and he though so he was like ready for me to be a golfer, and he like he thought, okay, well, you know, if Tiger can do it, I'll pay for some golfing lessons, and we'll get Natalie in there. Really? So he paid for me to do golfing lessons, and uh, look, I'm <laughs> no Tiger Woods. I wasn't gonna support him through retirement, unfortunately. So but, pro golfer, pro golfer, or park ranger, or park ranger. Mm. But um, yeah, neither were to be. I actually found I had a letter. To get into my high school I was out of the zone so I had to write a letter and that was all about how I wanted to be you know a a zoologist or a park ranger and you know pursue that path and I don't think I thought about it again after grade six but yeah "Mm, that'll like some kind of superstar
1: oh yeah yeah it would be fun I could see you up in lights well obviously
0: (laughs) it'll have to be Christmas lights now (laughs) (laughs) The likes of the trees. (laughs) That's about it. um, The dreams of youth. Yes. And where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Bayside in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. So um, we moved around quite a bit growing up. So we'd either be Brighton or Hampton or Beaumaris. Yep. The the first my my fond memories of growing up was uh, a place in Hampton uh, on Mills Street, and it had the white picket fence you know, I've I've got a photo, there's a photo that I remember and I'm not too sure if it's a memory or if I've seen a photo of it but when I think of that house, I think of this photo and it's of the Easter hat parade or something from when I was at kinder and it was something that my mum helped me create and she never really got involved in kinder crafty projects but this was one that she did and it was an epic hat oh excellent it had layers and it was like a big i don't know it was leaning tower well i don't know if it was supposed to be leaning but it was leaning and it was like this big easter bunny and and yeah it was it was a great um place like it was a big house and there was lots of kids being one of five there was always kind of you know little feet running around and yeah it was a great place and that that whole region of Melbourne I, I just I f- still feel drawn to but not in a sense that I would ever move there permanently I don't yeah. think but it's got yeah I'm I still feel deeply rooted to that area yeah and my siblings um, still and my mum still live down that way so so yeah. it's nice to revisit that even though it's, it's a bit of a trek out from um, the valley. Yes. Yeah, so mostly um, rentals. Did
0: you move schools while you were moving the houses or were you always at the same school? No,
1: yeah, always at the same school actually. It's an interesting point. So St Joan of Arc in Brighton and my grandparents um, were very focused on, um, you know, that education is key and um, both being teachers and my grandpa was an inspector of schools, so he was very much – we want to get the right school for you and so and that that was quite lovely grandma would often drop our lunches off to school with our names on the little bits of baking paper and chuck a mini violet crumble in there and it was (laughs) and I you know know, that's such a fond memory of Mm -hmm. of them very caring and very um yeah very focused on education so they chose St Joan of Arc for primary school and then um started seeing in um, Garden Vale for high school yeah but we didn't yeah we didn't move schools but we moved around quite a bit in the area. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you like that? Like, Did you like having your houses or did you want to
1: be put? Um, I didn't mind it. It kind of I, – I, but I didn't really question it. We moved from um, Mill Street in Hampton when my brother – my brother was quite um, premature. So, he was born at 25 weeks. Oh, wow. Like borderline – yeah. It was really dicey for a while there, and so obviously my mum was in hospital f- for a significant amount of time uh, with him. Yeah, and so with all of the the treatment and you know funds that ultimately come with something you know like that, they ended up having to sell the house, and you know things went pear shaped mm. financially yeah. um, a little bit. So. They sold that house and then we moved into some rentals and then um, unfortunately, you know, the relationship between my mum and dad broke down, mm-hmm. um, and so that resulted in us moving around a little bit while they tried to sort out their issues. Yep, which is hard if you're
0: already under financial strain and then you are absolutely into households and
1: yeah, yep. yeah. And I truly believe. It. I mean, they did the, the best they could. Mm-hmm. So, I think the focus was as long as we're together as a family, it doesn't really matter where we are. Yep. So, yeah, I've, I've never actually thought thought about the amount of times that we've moved or, you know, it was always exciting going to a new rental because it wasn't quite ours, but you could still put your stamp on it a little bit. Yeah. And there's yep. always a room for, you know, mum and dad's music and there was always a space to watch movies. And so, it was always a positive environment and it always felt like home, even though it wasn't ours. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, fond memories.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. What uh, order are you? Which? which? I'm second
1: which eldest. Second so eldest. I don't know if that's, I'm the middle child. Probably not. Well, there's five of us. So there's yeah. Jess, myself, Olivia, Georgia, Michael. Right, yes. So Michael is the youngest. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so there's 10 years between myself and him. Wow. Mm mm-hmm.
0: That's a long time. Yeah, yes. I can bet
1: you I've got 16 years between me and my hey. younger brother. Oh, really? Yeah,
0: oh, yeah. Poor thing. It's like he's just got another mum. Yeah. Like, ben, say thank you. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. That's funny. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a big gap. That's yeah, a long time for your parents to be parenting as well.
1: Absolutely, and and I think you know um, having you know four girls and then. Michael and and him entering the world the way he did it was mm-hmm. yeah it was high stress but all five siblings are super close which is lovely yeah so. Good on you
0: guys. Yeah. 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 And you went on a bit of a holiday with the girls recently. I
1: did. Yes. So it's, it's the first time I've actually done it and Michael was busy washing his hair or, you know, <laughs> I'm told. Um, no, he's, he is um, a film director so he was busy on site in Ballarat or Country Victoria or something. So yep. we'll have to rope him in for the next one. Yeah, so we went down to the Mornington Peninsula and had a really lovely time and it was what I loved most about it was – there was no pretense, or there was no feeling like you needed to have certain things to talk about. You dropped your bags, yep. you put on your fat pants, and we just sat there and ate and drank and yep. cried and laughed, and it was just a really um, healing experience for all of us because we haven't we hadn't actually done it before, and all of us have, have, you know, as everyone does, life throws curveballs at you, and it's mm-hmm. just nice to be able to talk about that in an environment where, you know, these are the people that have known you the longest.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Um, they get your context. There's so much you don't completely. have to explain. It's just kind of like, well, this happened and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, the impact is, you know, from when you were 10 and from when you were 12 and
1: yeah, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And Georgia and Olivia being a bit, bit younger than Jess and I, it's nice to be able to play a role of, well, this is what we've found worked for us or kind of being able to offer advice not from, from a motherly point of view but you know someone who really cares about you and also mm-hmm. I don't know I, I think the relationship between sisters is really special yeah it's hard to explain I mean and sisters or brothers, the same but different but yeah. still special that's yeah. yeah it's lovely so yes yeah, so that weekend was um yeah it was really just yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's exactly what it was. We um, built. I built. They gave me the job of building a fire in the backyard. There was actually a <laughs> well, there pit you there. Go. Yes, were back to fire again. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes. There is a theme running through this podcast. <laughs> so there was a pit in the backyard. I didn't just kind of like dig a hole and st- you know light it on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had this beautiful fire going and, you know, we we're getting stuck into the red wine and then these vintage bicycles came out of the garage and we were like riding bicycles around the fire <laughs> and it was just – it was quite funny and quite comical and, yes, it was, a, it was a great weekend. It's just nice to be silly sometimes without all yes. that. Yes. <sighs> I think you forget how to be silly mm-hmm. sometimes. When you're a parent, yeah, you are silly when, you know, you, you kid asks you to dance or to be a cat <laughs> or something. But you've always
0: got in the back of your mind, okay, well, I'll do this for five more minutes and then I'm going to do this. And yes. Then, yep. Or hang on a minute. I've just got to do this. Yep. So, oh, look at me. I'm being really silly right now. How good. I'm doing. I'm doing good. Guys. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, give
1: me feedback. Yeah.
0: I get a tick for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So no, it was lovely. Good. Yeah. I,
0: I think people should just get away. I don't know. Once every two weeks <laughs> maybe quarterly Quarterly, yeah, definitely it's yeah. important for your soul oh yeah yeah so you mentioned channel 31 and your stint as a weather girl and yes news anchor can yes. you tell me about that yes formula?
1: yes so um yes yeah, so I, I went into channel 31 i actually started on a program as a producer called pluck tv worst name for a show ever wonderful people terrible name (laughs) uh and because my dad actually was doing some work at channel 31 he was a producer and director there of some of the um commercials and tv shows and some of the um i think it was cops and lawyers was the show that he worked on with michael Kazilny. what was that about (laughs) <laughs> oh you're funny <laughs> just a little <laughs> joke there guys <laughs> um, can you put canned laughter in there that would be really hilarious <laughs> you'll have to show me how to do it yeah. So um, and so and I feel like everything that my dad did I, I was really drawn to I thought oh that's I have always found I found him really inspiring so anything that he kind of did I thought oh that looks really fun, that looks really creative and something that I think I could do. Yeah. Yeah, so I started there and the, and the general manager at the time, Greg D, was the same person who looked after dad and so I felt like it was a, a clear connection for me to say, oh, you know, I'd love to try my hand at that. But the producer angle wasn't for me but I still really loved, you know, the, 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 from concept to completion and being part of that <coughs> that creative. So mm-hmm. I thought why not try my hand in front of the camera. So I did the, the weather... Was that a process or did you just put your hand up? No, there? I just wanted to do it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had some big balls back then and then they <laughs> disappeared for a bit but I feel like they're coming back, <laughs> stepping back into personal power. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's a better way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, so then I did um, see news where I had to record in one take, um, you know, the news stories of the day. So it would, it would require me to, you know, research the stories, make sure they are relevant to the audience and then from there, I did um, the breakfast show, which mm-hmm. I loved doing. And one of the the co-hosts is now one of the producers of the project. So it was, oh, right. yeah, I was under really good guidance. And I felt like every time that I did a project with Channel Thirty One, they used to call it the launch pad, and it really was like if you really wanted to get stuck into learning to perfect your craft, it was such a good space to be in. Okay. And then from there, I um, co-hosted a breakfast show after that and that, that was really good it was an opportunity to start to practice my comic timing and have some responsibility to um for bringing ideas to the table and yep. backing yourself when you thought something really needed to be said and so okay. that was yeah I really enjoy doing that yeah did a few other uh, a few other projects and then started doing the radio fits and pieces at here of LEFM so was that because you moved up this way? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And did it just get too hard to get into Channel
1: 31 or...? Not. Oh, well, I would have to leave. So I used to catch the first train of the morning mm-hmm. and I look back now going, what, that you know... Where did that energy go? Yes, exactly. So I was living in the basin at the time in a caravan in my parents-in-law's backyard saving mm-hmm. for a house. Mm-hmm. And so I would get up, my now husband um, would drive me to Ringwood East Station. I'd catch the first train and I made friends with a butcher who was about 70 and used to carry his knives in a bag at the station. So I felt safe with him. Yeah. he's yeah, yeah, nice. you're not going to kill me, yeah. you're going to protect me. Yeah. yeah. So that was nice. And then I'd catch, yeah, the first train in and have to walk from Blinder Street or whatever the station is that's closest to where the BMW building is in the city down the other end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the offices were. And, yeah, and, and be there at 6.30 to be on air at 7. So we had half an hour to get everything together. Wow. Yeah. But it was, it was full of energy and it was vibrant and it was yep. people who wanted to be there. No one was getting paid. This is all volunteer. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there wouldn't be, like, you know, a makeup team or a... No. Yeah. No. And my eyebrows, I can tell you, <laughs> they were not always bang on. No. Um, and, and from there, it was at a time when I was working for News Limited taking the death notices exactly. um, over the phone. So I would do from six till nine at... Channel Thirty One. Mm-hmm. By the time we wrapped up, it was I think we were on air from seven to nine. Then I would catch the train to Blackburn to do an eleven till eight shift. Oh wow! So I did that for three three months, which was the the time slot for the season, or however it worked. Yep. I was absolutely exhausted, but you know, on the last day of the show, Lee proposed. Ah. So it was really lovely, and it was yeah, and yeah. So it was it was a very fond time and. Yeah. Did he propose knowing that it was a big shift for you or, like, was it a...
0: I think he was waiting
1: because, you know, when you're kind of doing silly hours like that, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think he was waiting for it to all settle and... So, how did he do it? Okay. Well... (laughs) Do you know, I'll tell you when okay, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. He said to me, oh, um, and he was working in schools at the time as a computer technician, and he said to me, he's like, oh, one of the ladies at the schools got some tickets to this show called Busting Out, and I'm like, what is that show? Because it sounds like a boob show. He's like, <laughs> well, it kind of is. And I'm like, puppetry for the penis? And he's like... Well, yes, but with boobs, and I'm like, sure, I'm down for that. <laughs> so, <Sorry. laughs> I mean, I'd like to see how it's done. <laughs> yeah, and I thought no one can make up a story like that. Like it has to be legit. So, anyway, so he's like, oh, well, you might want to pack a bag because I got a deal on Groupon, and Lee's all about a bargain. So I'm like, of course he did. <laughs> so I packed a bag and off I went. And we were living at Lee's parents' place at the time in the van. Mm-hmm. So we jumped in his canary yellow Monaro. And I'm um, headed into the city. And what my first clue that something was not right was he let me change the radio station to go 104. And I'm like, and oh, that's, that's <laughs> not love. I yeah. And I thought to myself, something's something's going on here. <laughs> anyway, so we got into. Did the he city. let you change the heating? Did you? Were you able to? No, just no. Okay. No, he probably needed the yeah. aircon though. Yeah. he was sweating bullets. <laughs> so then we turned up at the Sofitel, and I'm like, hang on a minute. This is a bit fancy. Not a group on kind of establishment. No, no. There yeah. was views yeah. and not over the back of buildings. <laughs> so, um, so he was checking in at the, at the concierge and I looked in the window, oh. like in the reflection so I could actually see behind me what was going on, still looking like I was kind of keeping my shit mm. together. Mm-hmm. And um, he mouthed the words champagne to the concierge and I'm like <gasps> – And then my heart started racing and I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I'd just run a marathon, but I'm still like, don't be ridiculous. Like you just need to calm down. You know, you're coming off the back of, you know, three months worth of your brain's dead. And I just, million miles an hour. Anyway, the lift closed and I couldn't even look at him. So I'm like looking at the crack in the lift, you know, and then we got up to the the, um, hotel room and there's a freaking pillow menu and it was really fancy and um, he's like, how do you work this DVD player? I'm like, I don't know. I'm looking at the pillow menu kind of thing, <laughs> trying to focus on something that wasn't my brain and, and yep. feeling like I don't know what to do, I, I don't know, yep. and I didn't really know what was happening so my anxiety was through the roof. Yep. And then anyway, he put a DVD on <laughs> and, um, and then all of a sudden all of these beautiful photos of things that we had done together over the, the time that we'd been together. We're on this DVD to the soundtrack of Taylor Swift, uh, Romeo and Juliet, or whatever that song's called. (laughs) Yes. And then the funniest bit was it got to the line of Marry Me, Juliet, Mm. and he put his voice, he did a voiceover. So instead of Juliet, it was like, Marry me, Camilla. (laughs) (laughs) I turned around and he's bawling, absolutely like sobbing, like doing the, you know, the ugly cry and the whole body's going. And I'm like, Oh my God, this, this is, and then, um, I kind of had an idea at that point what was going on. (laughs) I figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then he proposed and, um, the ring fit my, my little finger. Oh, good. So, um, that was good. Flashed that bad boy around. Yeah. And then we went to busting out. (laughs) That part wasn't a joke. So, that was for real, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there watching these boobs flop around the stage, and they were incredible. The yeah. things that you can do with boobs, I tell you what, hands on. <laughs> um, and then I'm sitting there watching this boob show, and I'm like, and my heart's still racing. I'm like, I've just been proposed to. What am I? Do? We yeah. don't have to be here right now. We could be <laughs> having champagne and, oh, you know, yeah, or you know, reading a pillow menu or something fancy. And I'm sitting here watching <laughs> busting out. And so then we went to um, this really dodgy Indian restaurant um, afterwards and just – it was just really bizarre. We are walking around the streets of the city and it was so funny and so hilarious and so random and so – I don't know, but it was perfect and it was – yeah, it was freaking hilarious. Anyway, so the next day we um, got home and, you know – broke the news to the in-laws, and they were obviously ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Um, Had he told anybody? No. Yeah. Yes, it was It was quite, um, quite a way to propose. Yeah. Good on him for um, – Were you
0: expecting a proposal? Was it like, okay, no. buddy, it's time? Or? No,
1: I wasn't actually. I, it kind of hadn't really crossed my mind. Like I just figured that he was a good egg, mm-hmm. and we just uh, – yeah, we kind of really – got each other and Mm -hmm. it was it was easy and it was silly and it was you know in a sense that you know you you know when you find your person you just like you just know you can you know yeah you know muck around and and life throws curveballs at you and you, you, you know that you know you've got someone there who can be there in a serious sense, but also you know take you to a boob show for your proposal, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, no, he ticks all the boxes. Like he, he's a yeah, he's a really genuine bloke, and he's you know he he's been working on what his values are at the moment. He's going through a bit of a, a period of transformation himself, mm-hmm. and at the same time as me doing the course, the Ready for Change, and he's doing his own work. We both. We're working on our values statement and, you know, what are the things that are most important and you had to choose from a list. And, you know, he, his came out as integrity, trust and family and that really sums him up. Like that's – it's so interesting what he was drawn to and which words were really important to him and if you could choose, um, you know, adventure or family and you could only choose one or the other, which would you choose? And so mm-hmm. by the end of it he had his top three yeah. values and it's quite fitting Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What were your values?
1: If you're happy to share. Of course. Yes. Um, mine, <laughs> no, I'll share my husband's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not you mine. Yes, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> That's private. <laughs> yeah. um, mine were adventure, intimacy. What were the two of others? I have to come back to you on that. Mm-hmm. But adventure was number one, which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, nature. Adventure, nature, intimacy, and something else. And what I had to do with mine was take those four. I think it was four, and come up with a value statement. So you had to come up with something that really, you know, spoke to you and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, was, it was a really interesting process to go through and to try and figure out, you know, why certain things just feel good and why other things are like, hang on, why is that not fit? Like why is that such a yucky feeling? And yeah. if it doesn't align to your values and it starts to make sense. Yep, especially um, I've never done one and I think I really need to do one. I think I'm probably just going to have to do this
0: course, but, yes. yeah, I mean, we're busy. There's so many competing things for your attention and if you don't have a way to filter it out, mm. you're doing everything. Mm. And apparently we're only human and there's only so many things we can get done. Yes. And sometimes, you know, it's actually better for everyone if you say no to a few things. Absolutely.
1: Saying no, is it's really empowering. And there's actually a gentleman who I've started listening to Podcast. His name's Jim Fortin, and he is a hypnotherapist, but he also really focuses now on uh, mindfulness as well, as well as I don't know a lot about hypnotherapy, but he specializes in a certain type um, and also he believes deeply in self-hypnosis as well. Okay. Um, but he talks about that life isn't about doing things to be something. He flips it on its head and says, you know, if people focus on what do I need to be. Mm -hmm. in order to have in order to do and so when I started thinking about that you know he always says human beings like being what am I what do I need to be in order to do Mm -hmm. not what I what do I do in order to be and when you start to think about it like recently you know quite a quite a, a big stress of mine has been Something that I've wanted to do is be available for school pickups just so I can have those crucial conversations at the end of the day and I can Mm -hmm. walk home with my son and, you know, how did it go today, mate? And he might give you a nugget that really gives you an insight into something that's going on or something he's loving doing and just build that connection. Um, And instead of focusing on what, what do I need to do, what do I need to do, I thought what do I need to be and what I need to be right now is to be focused and be, you know, all of these things and that will help me get to the stage of doing. So I'm trying to focus more on what do I need to be. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, it really helps to focus on what's important. Mm. So if you be it, the rest will follow.
0: Mm. Exactly. I like it. Yeah. Uh, how do you think you're going with the the goal of being there for school pickups? I know it's kind of been playing on your mind probably as long as I've known you. You've always been like, I, I want to be yeah, you know, there for pickups.
1: Definitely. I think the reason it's so important is I just remember those hot summer days in a horrible school dress carrying a bag that felt like it was 20 kilos, a good half an hour's walk up Weir Street in, in Brighton and if you know Weir Street there's two parts of it and that hill is atrocious and you know by the time you get home you, you just the last thing you feel like doing is talking to anyone or mm-hmm. doing your homework or you know yeah so um and there and they were lonely times for me like often you know there'd be kind of a, like an uh, a conga line of Irwin's my maiden name being Irwin yep. um you know there'd be Jess up the front you'd be you know 10 meters ahead then it'd be me yeah you know, so it's <laughs> kind of like <laughs> yeah, a little elephant family <laughs> holding each other's tails trying to get home yeah and it was quite lonely and it would have been and I always saw my friends being picked up by their parents and I, I always felt like I would love to have that and it would be so nice to be able to share that journey home with your parents and, and talk about your day or have someone care enough to ask about your day or be there to pick you up and so I think that from a logistical standpoint, it's not so much that. It's more so being being there and being available and being present for yep. me. Yep. I feel like I'm getting closer to it. I completed a, a course, a T-E-S-O-L course recently,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which allows me to teach English to kids in Beijing, okay. um, which essentially – Allows me to do the school pick up and drop off, or be a bit more flexible in it, yep. and do some hours on that of the evening. Okay, so I feel like I'm closer to being available for that. Yep. But yeah, I it has been a big stress, and I think I need to take that pressure off myself and realize yep. that it will be it will figure itself out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, it will be okay. Yes. <laughs> after you were at News Limited, did you study prior to that or did you just kind of get roles where you could get them
1: So when I finished Year 12, I wanted to take a year off and my dad was very much of the opinion that that was not something that smart people did. (laughs) So I enrolled myself into public relations at RMIT Mm -hmm. and I did six months of that course and I hated it. The parts that I loved was the creative – um, elements was the concepts was the project management but there was a huge mass element in it I'm oh, really? um, actually not sure why <laughs> <laughs> <Is> <laughs> that it's about public. engagement
0: mm. just statistical Type. potentially oh,
1: yeah okay but uh, my brain saw numbers and just freaked out and I just I just couldn't get actually there was an accounting. Mm-hmm. section within the course or something something like that. Yeah. And um, it just wasn't for me and I, I, I ended up working full-time at Officeworks in retail just to, you know, get a bit of uh, money behind me and then started working for um, News Limited. So I was an advertising sales consultant and my role was to take death notices um, for the Herald Sun, mm-hmm. birth notices, Valentine's Day notices, which okay. were uh, an interesting Clientele to work with, particularly <laughs> when they're putting in one for their wife and one for their mistress oh in the same phone call. In the same phone
0: call. Yeah. Do but, they does that go in the same credit card statement? Or Well because I mean if you did it twice and you'd get picked up. If you do it once, you just say, Well, that's the cost of a single
1: ad. You've thought about this, no? <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> Very devious. yes Well, if we had people call up and question Ads in the paper. We obviously couldn't divulge any information because of the privacy policy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I actually had not had not thought about the, the credit card side of things. Yeah, see, so you'll never be a spy. No, <laughs> no I don't know. They'll see the fire and go, there she is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I started doing that. Yeah, and there were some really really hard calls throughout that. You know, there'd be notices for kids coming in and you know, best friends and. And as part part of the process of putting a death notice in would be that they would need to provide us with essentially proof that this person had died and that was in the form of a funeral director name that that our customer relations team wouldn't check or um, a hospital, if it was palliative care hospital, for example, Um, but you'd have situations like the Black Saturday fires where we had a backlog of hundreds of people's death notices because none of these bodies could be verified and the, the head of classifiers just said, just release them into the paper because we, we, we had, yeah. you know, had a dental records. We had nothing that we could use. Yeah. Um, but they just made a call. So, yeah, so some, some of those phone calls were horrific. But then you'd have the birth notices coming through and, you know, um, proposals where people would pay $15,000 to take out a full page Will You Marry Me ad in the paper. And, um, wow. Yeah. So – and then from there – You know, I used to have people sit with me and I would be their buddy and train them up and then I um, officially moved into a training and assessment role there and that was really great. So I was facilitating groups of new recruits coming through and making sure that they were ready to be handling lots of different calls. Yeah, and so I was probably there for four years, four or five years. Okay. Yeah, it it was a great start into my professional career. Like it was um, I really learnt a lot about professional work ethic and adherence to schedule and how to be a grown-up yeah. and I remember going to the ATM and checking my bank balance with my first paycheck and I'm like my God I can buy money. so many shots <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna buy lunch today yes oh goodness so yeah no it, it was yeah it was really interesting and, and a really rewarding job. okay mm. so um, just going back to stopping uni
0: was that a hard decision as far as like I always have this thing in my head about not being able to quit mm. um, which like you can absolutely quit if something's not right for you there's no point in spending 4 years and 60 grand doing it but
1: was it hard or was it a really easy it I knew in my heart of hearts it wasn't right okay. and I the biggest challenge for me was not letting dad down yep okay so the biggest challenge for me was trying to figure out how do I tell him because I just knew it wasn't right. Yep. Um, And I hate letting people down and it was particularly him. He was kind of, you know, I just wanted to be awesome and for him to know that I'm awesome. Okay. Yep. So, and I, yes, that that was the biggest um, challenge for me was letting him know. But I started doing a diploma, an advanced diploma of um, broadcasting at Holmes Glen and that felt right. Okay, it was slightly sidestepped to PR, but still had vibes of creativity and um, you know expression of content. And you know we covered radio, and that's where it, that's where it all kind of started to get exciting. And that's where yep. the linkages with Channel Thirty One started coming in. So. Okay you know we're learning about how to about levels and um interviewing and um any tips (laughs) (laughs) you're actually a really good interviewer thank you very much yes (laughs) is it the wine the wine could be helping yeah yeah and and you know we we were creating tv shows and and producing and writing scripts and working with people being a tafe we were working with people who were actually working in the industry so it was current it wasn't just theory it it was practical okay so that was a great course and did your dad take the news okay? In the well, I don't feel like I was traumatized by his response. Okay. I think he just knew that it wasn't quite right. Yep. But he was. Um. Once he could see how much I was enjoying the broadcasting course, he felt like he could actually impart quite a lot of knowledge. That was his background. He was an yep. old film director f- for years. He worked on Don's Party with Graham Kennedy. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. I'm and, like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um and a, and a few other programs like the Sullivan's and oh wow yeah okay. And he loved it, and he was a, a boom operator to start with. There's a photo that we've got at home back before Ohns was a thing. Um, he's sitting on the ground with a fag hanging out of his mouth, holding up the boom. You know, arms would have been burning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just yeah. So he he loved that, and I I loved it, and it was it was so nice to be able to share that. Yeah, that, that love of creating content and you know expressing a message, and so yeah, so that that felt really good. And I think once he could say that that was something I really enjoyed. Yeah you know i didn't even didn't even cross my mind about whether or not that was he would think that that was a good decision it was something yeah, that okay. just yeah it, it felt, just right. felt good yeah so why don't you do it anymore i don't know i um i've done a few things since then i was the <laughs> i did a um, commercial for target australia oh good <laughs> yes um, and i was cast as the uncoordinated girl next door and I got I'm the job. So, I'm so googling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's probably not allowed on Google. What was the um, uh, What was the audition process like for that one? Well, I was working for the Australian Radio Network at the time, which is where I moved to from uh, News Limited. Mm-hmm. And I called in sick, but then I told my boss at the time what I was actually doing, and then I got in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Tony Bartuccio, who's like famous. Dance instructor in Melbourne. Like everyone who's in the dance scene knows him as this, you know, the king of dance. And he teaches all of the big superstars how to, you know, shake their booty. Uh-huh. That was actually the that that was actually the backing song of this commercial. And um, I'll send you a picture later. Thank you. And so when I got to the uh, audition, there was a room full of people who knew how to dance. They were in the correct attire. <clears throat> I was in makeup for quite a long time. I think they felt like. I needed some work <laughs> to look more like a girl next door. I'm not really sure. But I enjoyed the pampering and um, myself and another lady who was also cast in the same role as me, we were positioned at the front of the room and it was at an old building on Fitzroy Street in St Kilda. And um, we were we learned this routine and I thought I was amazing at it. <laughs> and then I'd turn around and this backup dancers doing their thing, looking, you know, as they should and as uh-huh. I probably should have looked. And... They were filming the whole time, even though I was. We were laughing and just, you know, trying to do our best, but you yeah. know, um, fluffing it up every two seconds. Yeah, and so there was there was printing, there was a commercial, and it was a lot of fun, actually. And and in my current role, they got me to do some voiceover work last week, and it was the first time I'd been back in front of a mic doing that for I don't know how long, a long time. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. So. And I've, I've done kind of bits and pieces since then. And I still get the odd call from a friend of mine who does, um, who casts for TV and commercials and radio. Right. I'll get a random call saying, oh, you know, um, Wentworth are casting for a newsreader. It's 50 words. You've got to learn it. Do you want me to put you forward? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. So it's so much fun. I think I love it because it's, um, you don't quite know what to expect. And people don't know what to expect of you. Yep. And so when it works, it's, it's yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind. I feel like I'm in the right stage of my life to get back into it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you have any, like, big,
0: you know, eventual dreams for it or are you just kind of happy to keep doing what you're doing and see where it goes?
1: Well, when I um, was doing my – broadcasting course i interviewed a gentleman who started the sale program which is the sudanese australian integrated learning program and i found his story really interesting he um he basically created this conversation cafe for sudanese refugees who had just come to melbourne Mm -hmm. and so i was interviewing him at a cafe and i i forgot i was interviewing him because i was so invested in what he was saying and I was so caught up in the amazing work that he was doing and he was just a young guy trying to do his best and I then interviewed some of the Sudanese gentlemen that he was referring to and I remember going into one of their offices and they were just so generous with their time and really wanted to share their story. So I loved the, the doco interviewing style of a film and what you're able to do with that and how you can allow someone to share their story mm-hmm. that's not in a tabloid sense and that's yeah. not um, edited to make it look a certain way. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and throughout the broadcasting course, you know, you had to come up with ways to lift the lid or uncover perspectives of, for example, friend of mine who was um, a drug user. Um, I asked her if I could interview her about it. Mm -hmm. um obviously being quite sensitive you know about about the topic and she she said you know what i'd love to talk to you about it and it was a a really it was a, a really uh inspiring interview hearing her perspective and why why she chose to do it and um you know her her background her upbringing and yeah so connecting with people um was, for me, I, I loved that aspect of it. Yeah. But, I, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's what it's great for. You can really – it allows you to be able to choose which angle you want to follow. Yeah.
0: Yep. So.
1: Follow the story where it goes. Yeah. You don't even have to have a
0: – okay. So, mm. one day there's going to be a documentary.
1: Maybe. On the yeah, I always wanted to do a doco called The Power of Poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm a real catch, aren't I? <laughs> so, and um, – <laughs> kind of along the lines of the power of one, but not. okay. But the power of um, poo in the sense of in a lot of um, third world countries, they actually use animal poo to cement housing. Mm-hmm. And for energy as well. Absolutely. People, yep. And so I always had this, um, I think I even storyboarded it. I really wanted to have a comical approach to something really serious. Yep. Because people were like, power of poo, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I don't know, but I really enjoy um, making people laugh as well. Yep. So I don't know if there's a kind of a middle ground there. Mhm. Mm. Cool. What to be space? continued.
2: Yeah. Yes. How? Yeah. What?
0: Yeah. And then so you you went to Australian Radio Network mm. and um are working behind the scenes then I'm guessing.
1: Yes, so I was at client services consultant. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. The Australian radio network was Go One Hundred Four and Mix One Hundred One Point One. All right. Yep. Yep. And my role was to acquire a new business. Okay. So, for anyone who doesn't quite understand the ra- understand the way that the radio world works, it's quite cutthroat, and it was a real eye opener into hard selling. Yep. And as much as I loved being able to tell people that I worked for a radio station, because people were like, "Oh my god, that's amazing," um, it was soul destroying. Yeah, it didn't okay. feel right. It was slimy, right? It was. It didn't feel like an authentic way of projecting someone's business to yep. the world. Yep. Um, it felt like a money grab, and it. Yeah, it wasn't something I stuck at it for for quite a um, eighteen months or two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a gentleman that I worked with at News Limited, and uh, I found out, you know, at that point that, you know, media as other industries is, is quite small yep. uh, and, you know, you never burn your bridges as my dad used to <coughs> say to me mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you never know who you're going to come across again. Absolutely. And so a gentleman who I worked with at uh, News Limited called me up and he said, look, I've got a job for you at Bower Media. Do you want it? So I caught up with him for a coffee and um, – Was that before or after
0: it had acquired all of the other – didn't Bauer kind of acquire a whole heap of
1: – Yes. So so Bauer Media is a, a, a family-run German company um, and when I was hired, it was ACP Magazines. Mm-hmm. And so my role was working um, for a number of magazines in the – the trade magazine arm of it. So it wasn't your Women's um, Weekly or the Australian Women's Weekly or the tabloid magazines. Mm-hmm. It was your earth-moving equipment magazines yes. and your farm equipment and rollers and dozers and scaffolding and uh, supply chain review. and. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I loved about that was actually meeting the families and the people behind the businesses and it was um, an authentic publication and a way, a channel for people to be able to talk to other business owners about what they did. And um, it, had, it had a really great editorial style. And it wasn't slimy, it was um, current and it was newsworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a trusted publication within that industry. Yeah, okay. Within multiple industries. And so. So you felt like you're actually providing people solutions rather than trying to sell. Absolutely. A spot. Yes. Okay. So it was a step away from media in a sense, but it was more aligned with what felt comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, you know, if, if you have something that's worth selling, you don't need to sell it, you yeah. know. Um, so, yeah, I was able to kind of bounce between different types of people and different communication styles and, you know, you chat to someone who is. was a, head of um, Packard Parts or head of Kenworth mm-hmm. who had the marketing degree and you knew that you needed to come to the table and, and be prepared and research and um, have a certain um, air about you but then you'd chat to someone who was, you know, on the production line, still a decision maker but they were getting in there and getting their hands dirty and, yeah. you know, I think you just got to speak to people with respect and um, I think that goes a long way. People can see that you're genuinely there to help them and to help move their business forward. Mm-hmm. And they've got results, yeah. So that was I really enjoyed that role actually, and I was there until I went on maternity leave. So that was uh-huh. um, yeah, that was, that was a rewarding
0: role. And so, since I've known you, you've um, jumped into um, launching your own business. Yes, which I've always found very incredible and inspiring and brave. Mm, thank you. Um, where did the
1: idea come from? The idea was born from pure frustration. <laughs> so, when my husband and I recovered from the um, boob show, we we were both of the idea that we wanted to create an experience for our guests at our wedding. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to be cookie cutter and we didn't want it to be stuffy. We wanted our guests to feel like they were part of our story and it was the story that was starting that day mm-hmm. and we thought okay we're going to be able to do this at a venue that is quite free-flowing and a little bit of inside a little bit of outside and we had this this kind of vision of you know festoon lights and um an open air vibe and european long tables and um in a garden and feasting and social and an opportunity for two Families and two lots of friends to be to have a bit of a fusion, and then for everyone to leave like they've just experienced that first story with us. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know where to find that place. Like, where am I going to find a place that will um, help us create that? Yeah. So we were driving around for weekends on end, trying to find something that would fit the bill, and we struggled. We were on Google. I got really good at Googling. I was Googling everything. Yarra Valley Wedding, Yarra Valley Wedding relaxed, oh. Yarra Valley Wedding, you know, oh. and someone's got in the same
0: colour as their background colour on their website, they've just written every single suburb in Melbourne and so you... Exactly. <laughs> yep.
1: Whether it's relevant or not, SEO can sometimes be a pain in your backside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, so we struggled finding that that place that would give us that feeling so it wasn't... A specific structure that we were looking for. It was just we we would we knew that we would know when we got to the place that it was perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we went to a few reception centres and it didn't feel right. Uh, and then we were on the way home from a day of driving down dirt roads because I thought to myself, "There's got to be somewhere. There's got to be a family-owned venue." In inverted commas. That may not traditionally be a venue. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be perfect and that would allow us to create this experience for our guests and it um, be, you know, a wonderful occasion and as it should be and we – we drove down this dirt road in the middle of Yarra Glen and at the time um, the venue hadn't quite established itself as a wedding venue mm-hmm. um, and it now is a very successful wedding venue. A lot of people have been married there but we were lucky enough to, at the time to find it when it was just starting to step out onto the scene. Yeah. And so we drove down into Allowan Gardens and so Prue and John who own Alowan Gardens are horticulturalists good job thank you um and you can see that everywhere you look has been thoughtfully curated Mm -hmm. there is a purpose for every single thing there but it doesn't feel contrived it feels quite natural and free-flowing we walked into um the area and there was a whole lot of dried i believe they're called gourds yep pumpkins yeah 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 but
0: like with the big kind of phallic shape from the end of it. Yes. Them.
1: Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Let, let's go with that. <laughs> there were a whole lot of <laughs> phallic shaped objects hanging from the roof and then there were, you know, wooden crates with succulents and white pebble stones and a giant chest set and this 50-metre wisteria archway mm. and a water fountain at the end of it and gates that looked like they were straight out of the secret garden and... Rusted relics and a silver birch forest and an edible garden and perennial borders and just it was it was overwhelming and it was so exciting because I thought this this is the backdrop of this is it like yep. we have to get married here yeah yep. and so we spoke to the owner and she was amazing and we ended up having our um, wedding there and and it was everything that we had hoped for and after the wedding. I had friends of the guests who were obviously there at the wedding being guests. I had friends of the guests come to me and ask me, um, I've got a friend who's getting married, Is do you know if anywhere else? And that's kind of where it started and I thought to myself and actually Prue said to me during the wedding planning because I said to her, "Oh, you know, are you thinking about getting into, into weddings? Um, this is a beautiful spot and more people need to know about it mm-hmm. um, because we happened to stumble across it. And um, she said, no. And I said, oh, well – and then the conversation started from there and when people started asking for my advice and I was able to provide it to them and I was able to recognise that the the need was for couples to be able to find somewhere that wasn't necessarily listing on the first page of Google because being on the first page of Google is quite expensive. Mm -hmm. A lot of the venues in the Yarra Valley are family run and – special spots that are often tucked away. So the brand was created, the idea was created, and it's been organically growing since. Mm -hmm. And it allows me to shine a light on these beautiful venues that are hiding under a bushel. Yep. So that's really lovely and it allows me to use all of these skills that I've built up over time apart from setting fire to things, (laughs) all of these transferable skills, like being able to chat to a venue owner who's been in the industry for 30 years versus being able to hold the hand uh, of someone who is just starting out and launching their venue into wedding land and not too sure what to do. Yeah. So all of those those um, skills that I've picked up along the way, whether it be public relations or interviewing or yeah. just my communication style has, has mm-hmm. really is a fusion of all of those roles that I've done to, to date. Yeah. And it's interesting. So, yeah, every single one of those roles that I've had has, has really put me in good stead to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, and find I find it really
0: interesting, you know, you'll tell me about, oh, you know, I went to this venue today and then you'll tell me this person's, like, life story. Like you, you've you spent an afternoon with someone and you, like, have an understanding of you know, their vision and where they're trying to go and I'm always like, how long
1: did you spend with them? Like, Yeah. I, I think and oh. for a re-
0: recall as well. Oh, that's, that's lovely of you. Yeah. That's right. So. Like networks?
1: Yes. Well, I feel like once you understand what someone's why is and why they're doing something and what's important to them and what is their vision for the venue, it's that's what sets my business apart. Is that that personalised approach and um, mm-hmm. care factor? I don't want to be, and I've never wanted to be, the wedding machine that just has millions of venues uh, or vendors mm-hmm. on a website and just is a churn and burn type mentality. Yep, um, and I think that's where it really resonates with the couples as well because they can approach me like an independent party in the matter. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I am almost facilitating that interaction between the venue and the couple so I can mm-hmm. find out what the couple's needs are yep. to the degree of we want barn doors and Australian beers on tap and we'd like exposed timber beams. Yep. So a really specific detail that's important to that couple mm-hmm. and, you know, a venue that, that has the perfect spot but you can't necessarily type that information into Google. No. So, and I found that you know people don't necessarily know what type of venue they want as far as what it looks like they they know what they want it to feel like they know yep. what they want it they know the style, so they might yep. go, "Oh well, I want it really relaxed and with views of you know million dollar views or mm-hmm. um we want it to feel like a big party or so people know how they want their wedding venue to feel or how they want their wedding to feel. They have a vision of their day yeah. and often when I'm trying to... It's work, an
0: emotional decision, isn't it? That's absolutely they, is. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, you know, I work with um, some personal shopper clients um, as well as the, the directory, but often one of my questions to the the VIP clients is, you know, like what's your vision for the big day? And often they're taken aback because they, I think they feel like when you engage someone in a service, particularly in the wedding industry, a lot of couples have the idea that it's a money grab. Mm. So when someone actually asks you, tell me what your thoughts are, like what, what what is the idea or what is the thinking behind that venue or, you know, why, why are you leaning towards this or why is that important to you, you know, and get to know the couple a bit more and, you know, figure out what their story is and and how does that correlate to putting their personal stamp on a venue. or So I really enjoy connecting with people and figuring out what it is that's important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On a surface level, it might be we want cocktail with for 100 people, yeah. but on a deeper level it might be, you know, mum's really unwell, we've got people coming from overseas, it's, it's high stress. So yeah. then I might think about, okay, well, this couple might need accommodation on site and, mm-hmm. you know, so I I enjoy solution selling and that's exactly what it is. And it's in, you know, you mentioned that before, that it is it is, it's come, it's, Doing a needs analysis, some fact finding, and it's ticking the boxes on that. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the bit I love. Yep. So I love, yeah, you know, I love connecting with people on both sides of the coin. So it, it is a double sided marketplace, which can be tricky. Yep. Because you've got two big clients that you need to keep happy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I think if you're, you know, if you're genuine and authentic, and you you have a point of difference that resonates with people, then it ultimately has to work.
0: Yep. Very cool. Hmm. And so how scared were you when you actually went and did it?
1: Well, I'll tell you a little story. I thought to myself, how am I going to launch a business officially with some people knowing but not the whole world knowing? Mm. And so in my mind I thought, Gumtree. (laughs) So what I did was I put an ad on Gumtree and I thought, no one I know is going to look on Gumtree for a wedding venue, but someone might. So, I put this ad together and I said, essentially said that I'm from the Arabelli, Valley. This is my business. If you're looking for your dream wedding venue and you're thinking about getting married in the Valley, give me a call and I'll find a perfect spot. It was really basic. Mm-hmm. said what I did and I posted it and I forgot about it. And then I checked it a week later and there was a lady from Canada who was marrying an Aussie looking for a venue in the Arabelli. Valley. Wow. And I'm like, this is spam, surely. Like who is this joker anyway all you have to do is send them a $50,000 deposit <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> wait for their check to yes. clear and then yeah <laughs> exactly and um I emailed it back and then like it was legit mm-hmm. and I thought I'm onto something here like mm-hmm. I just felt like oh this is actually something that people need is yeah. it I don't know is it yeah. and then I and then I created the Facebook page and then I you know, started to kind of work on it and I still feel like I'm I'm figuring that out yep and I I'm okay with that. Like, I think it's organically going where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So that was the first trial run of find My Perfect, Perfect Venue. was very deep. dip. <laughs> yes. And now I don't care so much about posting certain couples or certain venues or certain vendors or certain stories or whether I'm going to annoy people or whether I'm going to offend people. Mm-hmm. Um Far My Perfect venue is very inclusive um, of everybody yep. um, and supports marriage equality. Yep. So, and that doesn't align with some venues, uh-huh. even though Australia supports uh, or voted the yes vote for um, gay marriage or marriage now. <laughs> yeah, some, some venues did contact me and say, can you just send me straight weddings? What did you do? Well, that didn't really align with how I wanted to run the business mm-hmm. and so I politely declined mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's those kind of conversations where you, you need to tap into, okay, what, what am I in this for? Like what's important to me? Yep. And it comes back to values, you know. I value connection and I, I value being able to provide that service to people who are, you know, searching for something really special on a day that really matters. Yep. So, yeah, there's been a lot of learnings and I, I think that I've learned a lot of lessons along the way on on how to c- conduct myself and how to speak to people but also how to remain authentically me mm-hmm. in the process. Yep. So, I've, yeah, I love it. I love doing it and um, I think 2020 is going to be an exciting year for the business.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I've just really enjoyed watching it and just seeing kind of what your process has been. And I know I'm always like, so what's
1: happening next? <laughs> I hope you don't feel interrogated. But Not at yeah, all. Yeah, no, so no you've fun. always been an avid supporter of Pharma Perfect Venue, which I, as a small business owner, like is so encouraging. Mm-hmm. You've got people Good. always flying the flag for you. Yeah. You, you. It kind of is a bit of a reality check to, you know, there are people in your circle that aren't just, you know, blowing smoke up. But yes they actually do care and they think you're doing a good job and it's nice to hear it mm-hmm. um sometimes people that are closest to you are the ones that say oh do you think you should really be doing that should yeah. you get a real job yeah and that's their story that they're putting on you mm-hmm. and it could be something that they worry you know they're trying to keep you safe yeah but it's, sometimes it's limiting exactly i don't mean to so no I, I appreciate you know your kind words and your you know, encouragement okay mm-hmm.
0: you're welcome Anytime. <laughs> don't mind being a cheerleader. I just need some pom-poms. <laughs> we can arrange that. Well, let's talk about becoming a mum. Mm. Was that always on the cards or were you always intending on having kids?
1: Yes. I always felt deep within my loins. Um, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yes, yes. I always knew that I would be a mum okay. and I always felt like that was a job that I would be good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed helping raise my siblings mm-hmm. and I felt like it was a real honour to be able to be a mum and be a parent. I, I feel like that's such an, an exciting and important pivotal role to be responsible to, you know, raise a human being and, and be part of creating someone special. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd I'd always wanted to be a mum and I remember walking through the car park at Knox Shopping Centre and I said to my husband, I'm like, yeah, I think I want to have a baby. And I kind of just didn't even think about it. It wasn't something that I was, you know, stewing on for a while. Yeah. I just thought, and we'd been married for six months Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and people at the time, you know, were always waiting for like, we'll wait two years and then we'll have a kid or, you know. Yeah. I thought, why are we waiting? Like, we love each other. I think you're awesome. You think I'm alright. You know, yeah. let's just let's do it. Yep. And my husband was like, oh, I think I need to think about it. I'm like, that's a fair call. Look, I, I, but I'm ready. Just so you know, yeah. I'm a big proponent <laughs> yeah. for thinking yes, about it. Yeah, yeah. Had you talked about it prior to being married? Um, we always had this imaginary child. Sounds weird, but we always had. We always used to speak about like when we we're in the kind of like the throes of you know. Um, that sounds weird too. When we we're in like, early dating days, yep. had, um, and Lee would go on holidays with his mates or whatever, he'd send me a postcard, which is really nice. Yeah, and he'd like refer to oh, say hi to Frankie for me, and it became this like who the hell's Frankie? Ken's like love child that didn't exist. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then. Before we had our um, dog, Wilma, Lee bought this like baby, baby dog, also known as a puppy, and we named it Frankie, and it just became this thing. Anyway, so in a comical sense, I think we had always, we always knew that we would have a child together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but actually talking about it in a grown up sense, I think was quite scary, yeah. particularly for him. I, I, I felt like the time was right, yep. but obviously it takes two to tango. Um, <laughs> Again, literally, yes. And so I remember that um, Lee bought me tickets to George Benson, who I bloody love. I don't.
0: Who's oh, George Benson?
1: Do you know the song on Broadway? No. Okay. Well, we will have a session. Okay. Uh, he's a, he's a like a soul. He's a soul singer crooner from the I don't know sixties, seventies, eighties. He's amazing. Um. You know, he's he's on stage with a 12-piece guitar crew and he's incredible. Anyway, so – and I used to listen to him in between moving house when I was younger. So, for me, it's kind of like a connection to that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, so Lee bought me tickets to George Benson for my birthday and we went and on the way to Lee picking me up, he sent me a text message about a month after I'd had that in a revelation in Knox (laughs) Park. That <laughs> It is very inspiring. Yes. No, <laughs> we, do, we don't do things the standard way in the Ayers household. Um, so he just sent me a text saying I'm ready. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> now? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> I haven't <a> waxed. No. <laughs> so and I knew what it meant and I was, I was so excited. And then I thought it would be funny to buy him, not Viagra, but I bought him like. It was called. Cool. It was actually called cool. <laughs> <What>? Sperm Max, <laughs> and I don't think it's ever been opened. And it's still in the cupboard. <laughs> and would probably kill you if you had it. <laughs> it did some serious damage. Was <laughs> it, it from a reputable?
2: <laughs> oh, re- yeah, I don't think, think so. Reputable.
1: Um,
0: a bit like you've been, you've been to Bali, yes. you know, like you're sitting at the bars and someone comes around like with their bum bag full of like random pills, <laughs> yes. and they're like Viagra, and yeah. you're like.
1: Well, not from you <laughs> like, i i feel like it was from um chemist warehouse on special yeah and good. i thought it would be funny mm-hmm. no i think he was offended <laughs> like i think he wanted me to feel like he's got this you know yeah. like yeah you don't, um, you don't make jokes about people's spam Jesus. no no i thought at the time it'd be funny but yeah. it wasn't i i really <laughs> missed the moment <laughs> So, um, yeah, so after – I don't know how much detail you want, but after a day uh, of quad biking in sale, <laughs> we camped over in this dodgy campground and um, <coughs> I was pretty sure the next day that I was pregnant. Not that I knew that I was pregnant, but I mm-hmm. thought, you know what, and at the time my dad was really unwell mm-hmm. and I thought to myself on the way home in the car, I'm like, it would be so lovely if I was, but if I'm not, it's fine. That it would be so lovely if I was. Mm-hmm. If it's not, I've got you know. yeah. Yeah. So and you know, on and on that journey yeah, exactly. goes for several weeks. Exactly. And then I about is it four weeks when you can do a test? What's um, the time? Two to three usually. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So a number of weeks later, I bought a pregnancy test from same dodgy mm-hmm. chemist
0: mm-hmm.
1: and went into the public toilets at. Not a shopping centre <laughs> where all good things happen. And I, I just felt that day like I had eaten an entire loaf of bread. I felt really like for really heavy, really bloated, really just not quite mm-hmm. right. But I'd always had issues with my digestive system mm-hmm. and it was something I was actually working on at the time. I would had an allergy testing done and it came up for a gluten uh, a gluten intolerance of um, oats, yeast, wheat, rice and corn so and that was off the scale which is all the food groups it is and actually something that i've had to work on at the moment with a nutritionist which is another thing that i'm taking full responsibility for as part of my well done yes yeah so i um got the pregnancy test and and, um, went to the public toilet and it was you know let's say happy hour in the toilets it was it, it was busy and um you know, and everyone's doing their thing. And I di- um started the pregnancy test mm-hmm. and um it came up with, was it two lines? Mm-hmm. Oh, it feels so long ago. It came up with two lines and I'm like laugh crying in the toilets. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what would these people think I'm doing in the toilet? <laughs> like I was beside myself and I thought, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So I went to the bookshop and I bought Dads for Dummies or something funny because I thought like... I, I need to lighten the situation because this, yeah. this is full on. And then I, I left the um, the toilets. At that moment, I felt like this is this is serious. Mm-hmm. This is also really exciting, but mm-hmm. this is also I'm now responsible for someone, and that's exciting. And I felt mm-hmm. this real sense of accomplishment. Like I've got this. Like I can do yep. this. I felt like I was walking around. Like I had a sign, a like neon sign above my head, going. Bun in the oven, bun in the oven. Like, I was like, everyone knows. And then I was like, no one knows, you yeah. idiot. But anyway, so I got home and um, I left the book on the bed. And he's like, what's this? And I'm like, what do you think it is? <laughs> Maybe you do need that book, you yeah, dummy. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, and he was wrapped. Like, he, um, yeah, and he's, he's an amazing dad. And Sally is, you know, we think he's a cool little dude. Um, he is I just... I love him so much Aww. but even the people who meet him
0: like in my circle of friends and you know like he's been at a party or whatever and people are like are like oh you know kenzie's friend Sully," and they're like the one with the bow tie and like <laughs> oh. everyone remembers
1: him yeah he's just he's a he's an old soul he's an old soul he um yeah he often talks about things that still using language of a five and a half year old but mm-hmm. Yeah, the concepts that he kind of comes up with or the questions that he asks you, I feel like he's the type of kid that I want to honour those questions with an, an answer, and age-appropriate, but I want to be able to give him the context of something he's asking me about. Mm-hmm. And particularly at the moment, um, given his um, grandpa's not well, he's, a lot of questions are coming up. And apparently, you know, at the age of between five and seven, death can become quite an obsession for mm-hmm. kids. Yep. And... Um, you know, and I'm mindful of, of drip feeding information as he asks for it, but in a way that's not going to scare him, and yeah. it's going to help him with, you know, answering the questions that he needs answered yep. at the time. That's still going to be, you know, helpful.
0: And also not letting them create their own stories. Exactly. Ken's is asking me a lot at the moment as well. And okay. And yeah, and I don't know where it's come from. Obviously, you've got a context for it, but I. Yeah, I don't know. She's just started asking me, you know, what happens when you die, and what 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 do we become? And I've told her that we have become nature. Go mm. back to it's nature. It's a beautiful answer. So she's like, "But how do I be a rock?" <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, so
1: sweet. I
0: don't know. I'm going to have to really think about that because yeah. I don't think I've ever fully formed my beliefs around it. It's quite
1: confronting when yeah. you kind of think about it. Um, you know, Sally said to me, "He's like, when I die." And, and he talks about it in the sense that, that it's coming soon. He'll often talk about – and he's not afraid of death and he talks about it in such a way, you know, when I die you look to a rainbow and you'll know that that's me and I'm like trying to, you know, not absolutely fall on the floor crying. Yeah. But it, it's so it's so beautiful and so amazing that their concept is so simple but so powerful. Yeah. Where um, do you think he got that? From. Have you said well, something like that to him? Yeah, so when um, – I haven't said something like that to him, but when my dad died, my dad actually bought a seat that sits in my mum's garden mm-hmm. and it's this swing. It's an old, old rusted swing. You know, we call it the grandkids' chair because Poppy, who Sally has never met but mm-hmm. often talks about mm-hmm. and has spoken to at a playground randomly, like he'll just go, I miss Poppy today or I – and it, it's it's – quite random and never prompted it's it's quite interesting anyway so um one christmas day christmas morning we're over at mum's and dad passed away on christmas day he he was sitting on sally was sitting on poppy's swing and i took a photo and i looked back at the photo and there is this um rainbow orb over sally's head wow and Sully sees that photo and he's like oh it's Poppy you know and I think that's the rainbow connection so every time he sees a rainbow he just you know and so now that's his kind of sim- symbolism around death is <laughs> the rainbow which is quite beautiful yeah so that's the fact that he was talking about it as something that wasn't just for old people that, that, that it was going to be for him or when I die would you be sad and mm. um, I, I can see that it's becoming quite quite a topic that he wants to explore yep so I'm mindful of How to do that yeah yeah
0: do you have fully formed like do you have a belief system that's strong
1: around death it's an interesting question i you know my grandparents were catholic and very religious and we would often go to church with them and, and the reason that we did that was because they put us through schooling and we felt like that was a way that we could not repay the favor, but we felt like we needed to show up in that sense for them Yep. um, because they they were showing up for us in other ways. Yep. So I wouldn't say that I have a strong sense of believing in God, Mm -hmm. but I do feel peace when I go to a church because I Mm -hmm. feel like there is the connection to my grandparents there and I know that that gave them great peace. Yep. But um, I wouldn't say that I'm religious. Okay. I feel really peaceful when I'm in nature. Like I I find that that really grounds me and I I feel peaceful and calm. Yep. I feel like there are energies around you. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are, whether they be angels or guardians or I I don't know how you'd explain it. I don't even know how I would explain it. But I, I I do feel like... My dad is around a lot Mm -hmm. and actually a funny situation happened it was the and I realized about a few months after it was dad's birthday the date that it happened the 6th of March Mm -hmm. and it was about 2 a.m on the 6th of March and I was asleep and Lee was asleep and our bedroom was right next to the ensuite bathroom and my husband got up and walked around the foot of the bed and went to the toilet turned the light on and turned it off but the door didn't open and I said I said to Lee oh can you what are you doing in there are you okay are you sick or and then Lee was next to me going what are you talking about and I'm like oh there was what and I remember seeing or feeling or acknowledging something walking around the base of the bed and going into the bathroom wow those good tingles and yeah I didn't realize at the time that it was dad's birthday and he had died in the in the um, Christmas, the December prior. So he'd yep. been about well, three months. Yep. And so I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel a, a presence. I feel his presence around the amount of times that Sully brings him up. And it's often at times where we're not even talking about anything. And all yep. of a sudden, he'll just say, Oh, can you tell me about where Poppy used to live when he was a little boy? Or, You know, my dad wrote a book called um, "The Story of Benjamin Franklin" or the something. It was about a kid who grew up in New Zealand, and Dad grew up in New Zealand. um, And he would often spend time with his grandparents on their farm, on their pig farm. And um, so the story is loosely based around my dad as a child, his character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Sally will often ask about the story, or you know, ask about things that I don't even remember telling him, or you know, picking up. To this afternoon, he picked up the guitar that my dad gave me. Instead of playing it, and I, I just I don't know. It's little things like that that just make me feel like there's something else going on. Yep. I don't know quite what it is. Yep. I don't want to get all woo woo on you.
0: No, I don't want a bit of woo woo. Yeah. So, yeah. but I
1: I definitely feel that there's something there, and um and I do feel a sense of peace at um sacred places and people, places that are sacred for other people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not because I necessarily believe in their God. But I, I just feel like, no, if it's special to someone else, then. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's kind of that energy thing again. Yeah, isn't exactly. It? It's like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's true. So I, I don't, I think I'm still trying to figure it out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The hard thing is we'll never, ever know. Like, it's true. Yeah. But I think it's important. <sighs> says me, who doesn't have a very strong belief, although I think we're probably fairly aligned in it, that there's there's something, there's energies. I believe that there is some kind of higher power. I don't believe in the institutionalized God that Mm. um, we're dictated about, but I do believe that there's just too much for it all to be a happy accident. Yeah. But I don't know that I necessarily believe that there's a grand purpose Mm. or... Yeah. Mm. But yeah, definitely in energies.
1: Yeah, I agree. Energy and I think that spirituality is something that I'm really starting to explore a bit more too and mm-hmm. power of the mind and meditation. And I think I, I do think that energy, you're right, it's it's all it's all aligned to that and what that looks like and what it actually is, I don't mm-hmm. know. But I definitely yeah, I, I feel like I'm tapping into that more as I get older. So losing your dad and
0: being pregnant. And having that whole life and death dichotomy, mm. did that fuck you up?
1: Yeah, it. Um, it's interesting. So my dad was the first person that we told that I was pregnant, and mm-hmm. and you knew he was unwell at the time. Yeah, so he he was palliative at that time. Okay. So and I told him, and he um, he said, "Oh, mum's the word." So he he. It was the only thing that he had that was sacred that he felt like he could still help with. Right. So it became this kind of like funny little joke that only he knew about. Yep. And he said his plan, his grand plan was that he would be around for Christmas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so even when he was wheeled out of the granny flat and taken into palliative care in the back of the passenger transport, um, you know, I, I was there in, in the transport with him and he kept saying to me, he's like, three days to go, three days to go, basically saying three days to go until you can tell everyone on Christmas Day that there's a baby on the way and that's going to, you know, help, um, you know, the healing process for everyone given what's going on. Mm. Um, and, you know, at this stage he was on huge amounts of morphine patches as an ID, you know, five milligram patch is enough to you know help you sleep for a good day um he was he was on enough to bring a horse down like he was on 30 milligrams of morphine or or more i might that might be slightly off but he was on a lot and so you know he went into palliative care and um you know and we were often talking about the type of um, child that I would have and he was throwing around names. He's like, I think Laura's a nice name. I'm like, Dad, that's garbage. <laughs> um, anyway, and I, and he was having a bit of fun with it and I could see how much joy just knowing what he knew. Yeah. Yeah, how much joy that was bringing him. So um, and and literally hours before he passed away, he was lucid enough, I don't know how, with the amount of medication that he was on. mm mm-hmm. You know, um, I was patting his head when he was in the hospital bed, and he said, "One day to go." And I'm like, "How does he still know?" Yeah, and he was right, right on the money. He said, "One day to go," and at, at the time I didn't realize, but I thought to myself, "Was that was there a double meaning there? Like, was it one day to go until I tell the family? Is um, it was it one day to go until he's going? Like, what you know, yeah. what's what's going on, kind of thing?" But and so I so I kept I kept that secret. So um, yeah, so six a.m. on on Christmas morning, I got the call from his sister who who arrived half an hour after he died mm-hmm. at the palliative care Bethlehem palliative care, and um, and I always had this feeling that I was going to be having a boy. I don't know how I didn't know, but I I felt like it was a boy. And I kind of hoped that it was, even mm-hmm. if I had a girl, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. I, but I hoped that it was but would be because I, I wanted to kind of have that somehow, you know, I, I felt like there was a connection to, you know, the passing and the, the you know, birth and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. and I had this overwhelming urge to go in and see Dad and I, I've never been one to want to see someone who's passed away. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I needed to. I felt like I needed to close that chapter and then be able to start my new one, which was quickly growing. I was, you know, the size of a house. I was having an avocado a day. Like, (laughs) and, yes, Sally loves avocados. Oh, good. Um, Dad had only passed away in the December Mm -hmm. and it was March on our baby moon, so before I had Sally um the actually how we came up with his name um so we were, we were struggling for a boy's name girls names were all over but yeah boys names we struggled down and um you're we in hamilton island on our baby moon and i was in this stinger suit and pregnant and enormous and i was reading this book that mum had given me when dad passed away and it had a character of a um, police officer in it and his first name was sullivan i'm like that's a really strong name it's a cool character and anyway so i yelled it out to lee and he's like yep i love it i'm like great and then we looked it up and it actually meant little little brown eyes i thought that's perfect yeah Yeah. i know so yeah and then middle name was um graham after my dad Mm -hmm. and it kind of like it just felt right it felt comfortable and um yeah then yeah we gave birth to this little dude who wasn't quite wanting to come out initially. Um, and then my gynecologist started speaking in Mandarin to the nurse and that's when I knew that shit was going down. And I thought to myself, what can't they tell me? Ah, that feels rude. Um, yes, I let them know that it was rude. <laughs> With all the hysteria I could muster, I had gas that wasn't working, which apparently <laughs> arises. It <laughs> i had pethidine oh. which i'm pretty sure was a placebo yeah and i had an epidural from a lady not a random lady she wasn't actually in an, an, an <laughs> we'd call an, her an, an
0: anaesthetist.
1: anaesthetist yeah um she turned up in her active wear she was on her way to a zumba class mm-hmm. and she <laughs> said to me you're, you're lucky that i got the call um so she put a Scrubs on over her fluoro pink activewear. Mm-hmm. Gave me the epidural. Made me sign my life away in case I died, which I don't even remember signing. Yep. Master Chef was on and the TV above the bed. Excellent. Uh, Good choice of TV yeah. programming. Yep. And then they started talking in Mandarin to each other, and I said to them, "Whatever you're saying to her, you can say to me." Yep. I said, "This is my vagina <laughs> and my child, uh-huh. and I, I want to know what's going on." Yeah. Um. And they said, "If he doesn't come out in the next really short amount of time." Um, we're going to um, take him in for a cesarean. Yep. I thought, okay. So I'd been labouring at that point for 24 hours. Um, <sighs> I was really tired. Yep. Lee was, I don't even know what state he was in. He, he was so great throughout the whole process. Um, yeah, and so Sally turned up, and the first shot we have of him is his hands behind his head. <laughs> like, I got this. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> kind of chilled. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and it, yeah, and that's the story of all of that. But um yeah, it it did impact me probably I was quite right, the impact of the grief and actually the the lead up to dad dying on, on Sally while mm-hmm. he was in utero and I, I spoke to the, the gynecologist about that at uh, gynecologist, what are they called? Yeah, obstetrician. Obstetrician. Yeah. <laughs> so Usually they're both. You'd hope so. Yeah. They're well versed in all of that.
0: Yeah. O B G in. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, and I sent you know, um, and Lee was quite concerned because I was quite involved in you know the final stages and the lead up to, and yep. um, Lee was quite concerned about the stress factor. But um, he said, you know, they, they're quite protected in there. There's not really a whole lot that can happen to them unless mm-hmm. physically your bodies and yeah, providing the, the nutrients, nurturing, yep. etc. And with all the avocado here, you know, <laughs> there was a good buffer in there. Yeah. I was actually asked by one of my really good friends if I was having twins.
0: Ah. Uh, so, the amount of times I've heard that from people recently, I got it as well. And it's like, did you? Here's a newsflash. Don't ever ask. No, don't ask a woman if no. she's pregnant. Don't ask her if she's got twins. Maybe just offer to carry something for her because
1: anything else, you're a fucking asshole. Chrissy Swan once said on the radio, she's like, don't ask if someone's pregnant or having a baby until you see that head coming out of the <laughs> <laughs> Like, until then nothing yeah
0: exactly yeah yeah
1: so that that's that's that mm. Mm. but i i take a lot of comfort i yeah it gives me a lot of comfort to feel like dad's around yeah i know that he would have wanted to have a massive role in sally's life mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting and lovely it's in the same breath that um, sally often talks about this person that he's never met yeah so I'd, i would love to go and get a get a have a session with a medium or I don't even know who the right person is. To, yeah. But, yeah, I would love to know what, what comes up with that because mm-hmm. I definitely feel feel deeply connected to – and there I feel like there's a deep connection between Sally and Dad even though they've never met. Yeah. Which yep. comes back to the energy comment. That's mm. nice. Oh, don't know where you go after after that.
0: We're going everywhere tonight. Oh, right? We are. We've covered a lot of topics. <laughs> it's fucked. But just losing a parent is not.
1: Yeah. No, no, it is. It, it is. It's really sucky, and it, it does feel like when you when you know that things are progressing, and you know that it's not just someone saying, "Oh, they're not going to be here forever," or they're not going to be, you mm. know, uh, really soak them up. Like people don't really connect with that. No, it's like you know, life quotes or you know, power quotes. They don't really mean anything until they mean something. Yeah, yeah. Until you're in that headspace. Yeah. And it can be difficult after the fact in the sense that you really have to reflect on, you know, you feel like you need to figure out whether you did enough, whether you, you know, you just question, you question your relationship with them, you question um, how am I going to be as a parent and it all starts to kind of go full circle. Yep. So, but it is, it's sucky. But on a positive note, I feel like it helps you create sense of emotional intelligence when someone else close to you is going through that it's an opportunity for you to really empathize with them and not tell them that you know how they feel no but it's something that you can kind of contribute and just sit there with them and and be and it gives you a sense of understanding i think Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: yeah it's a big thing do you think it's informed the way you live now the way you parent in particular
1: yeah i think so i'm i'm really conscious of not offloading my baggage onto sally Mm -hmm. and i'm really conscious of checking in with him a lot and asking him how he feels about something and whether it feels right and whether he wants to talk about something i'm really being mindful of keeping those communication channels open Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that you know now that I've said that out loud, that's probably another reason why I really want to be there for school pick-up and drop-off. I just think, you know, having a child is such a gift and being able able to have that relationship with them that allows them to be able to look to you as, you know, their safe haven is is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's definitely given me a sense of what's important when you're a parent, not necessarily giving them everything because I don't think that teaches kids... The right way but just making sure that you're present and you're there for them mm-hmm. I think that's the, the best thing that you can do for them
0: yeah so I did a, an exercise with my sister a while ago um and she ran me through a meditation practice and in the meditation we you know breathe deeply and lay down and we had a really good think about where we would be in five years and we had to think about where we were and what we were wearing and what the air felt like and what did we feel like. And um, I found it to be I'm not great at meditation and I'm really bad at visualisation because I spend the whole time worrying that I'm doing the wrong thing. People say, what's your favourite colour? And then I sit there agonising over whether I do have a favourite colour. Anyway, Mm. (laughs) that's my um, preamble. Do you
1: have a vision about where you are in five years? Five years. So my first thought is, Sally will be ten and a half, and so is that grade six?
2: Mm, grade five, grade mm. five.
1: Where I would like to be. I mean, I would like to be. I've had this. I've always had this dream where I would like to be traveling Australia mm-hmm. in a caravan, which we plan to do in twenty twenty one. I imagine that would be for three to six months. We're not Mm -hmm. quite sure yet. We're busily filling up the um, reject shop money tin. (laughs) Um, But ultimately, I mean, I I would like to be travelling, I -hmm. think. I think I would like to have the business at a stage where it allows me to open up different areas, you know, Bali and New Zealand and, Mm -hmm. and really nail and scale my current business model I would like that time of my life to feel like I had a sense of freedom and sense of um, opportunity and be able to explore different cultures and do volu- and volunteering around the world and do giving back. I, I, yeah, I really want to focus on that aspect of travel. Mm-hmm. But as far as what that looks like exactly, I'm not really sure. It, it's funny, like five years ago I would have been like, yeah, I want a family and, you know, I want to get my business going and et cetera. But The next five years, I feel like because I'm doing work at the moment on being present, I haven't actually thought too far forward. Yep. Which is not a bad thing. Well, it's also something I should probably, you know, um, think about. Definitely want to be in business, Mm -hmm. whether the business is um, the same as what it is now, whether it's something in addition to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to run some kind of a social enterprise, I think, eventually. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what that's aligned to but, yeah, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards social enterprise, volunteering, travel and and involving the whole family in that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we spoke about travelling Australia, we wanted to be able to stop in at um, places, um, for example, drought-affected farms and, and kind of be able to help them in mm-hmm. exchange for us staying there and, and give them give them a hand and that kind of thing so and and traveling around doing that and meeting different families and blogging about it and and it kind of you know introducing these families to the rest of Australia and just doing something that kind of ties in a lot of the stuff that both Lee and I have done I mean Lee's very great with with techie and with problem solving and Mm -hmm. um I don't know I I, I imagine that we not that we would become nomads but yeah I think there's travel and volunteering on the cards but I, I don't know how that
0: What's exactly. That like. That's okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exact.
1: It's your five-year plan. When I did the
0: meditation, mm. I I was welcoming somebody in to a yoga studio and I was feeling relaxed and confident and very content. And the kids were outside playing in the pool, which we don't have, so we're going to have to get a pool, in the pool. Yes. Was it here, was it? It was here and we had a yoga Wow! So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think that's probably as much as we need to cover today. I could probably talk to you for another several weeks, Mm -hmm. and we always—well, I always feel like that when it's like time to go. It's like, but we've only just scratched the surface. Thanks for putting up with me. Thank you for coming and being so honest. Oh, that's okay. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There she was! Another fabulously extraordinary individual. You can find Camilla at Find My Perfect Venue on Facebook and Instagram, or her website findmyperfectvenue.com.au. I've been really impressed with how innovative Camilla has been with her business content lately. Obviously, the wedding industry has been hit hard, and she's been so creative in finding ways to showcase venues, provide resources to help business, and keep them connected with couples, and also keep the excitement alive while it all feels so uncertain. So check it out, but just be prepared to want to start planning your next wedding, because some of it is just gorgeous. My brother and soon-to-be sister-in-law were due to be married this coming weekend at a beautiful estate in the Arrow Valley. So many plans have been disrupted. I have to hand it to them though, they've really taken it in stride. I'll be toasting them from home this weekend and crossing everything that we can celebrate on the new date booked for later in the year instead. <sighs> so much of our chat resonated with me. I ended up doing the online course Camilla recommends at the start of the chat and I completed it at the end of Feb. It's called Ready for Change by Lisa Kordoff, if you're interested. I got a lot out of it and it was perfect timing given the chaos wheel descended into not long after. It really helped me choose the mindset I was going to approach lockdown and homeschooling with, and I think without it, those initial few weeks of lockdown would have been a lot harder for me mentally and emotionally. The course helped me to uncover, recognise and understand the things that influence how I react in different situations and the mindset that I approach things with. I still keep hearing myself say things in absolutes or framed in a negative way, But then I have the opportunity to reframe how I'm talking to myself or about a situation. The course isn't about being all happy, happy, la, la, everything's positive and fine. But it has created the space for me to feel how I'm feeling, acknowledge it, and then choose how I want to proceed. For example, just like I said in the intro, today I'm feeling anxious about re-entry into the world. I sat with it and I've decided to go gently. I'm going to prioritise the things I missed most, and I'm not going to engage with the things I don't absolutely have to. Speaking of acknowledging how I feel, did you hear the bit where I blithely talk about organising a first day of school cocktail party? As if I'd be so chill and calm, just taking another milestone in my stride. Well, that's not how it happened. I didn't even get into the classroom before I was a freaking mess. I had to face the wall to, just in case I upset Kenzie while Mick got her settled in with her buddy. And Ken's wasn't phased at all. She was like, see you, mum, which just about broke me. And then Mick hustled me back outside where I ran into Camilla, who took one look at me and gave me a very long hug while I sobbed. And then I kind of set Mick and lay off too. That was a couch day. And my greatest achievement was an extensive online shop of knitwear because I was very cold after that emotional release. I'm very pleased to tell you that Ken's and Sally both really hit the ground running in prep. They were actually seated together for most of term one until it was decided that maybe they were entertaining each other a little bit too much and they got some new desk mates. And now they have the ultimate desk mates, us! Can we all agree to give teachers pay rises yet? When I told Ken's that she'll be back at school in a few weeks, she said that she misses Sally the most and I can totally relate. He's an absolute rock star. I can't wait to have them reunited I'm going to have to reacquaint myself with a schedule though being places in a certain time frame is something I've often found a little challenging when we talked about our belief systems about what happens when we die I can't tell you how listening back to that conversation really made me realize how vague I am about it all I really like a bit of spirituality chat but I'm still really figuring out where I sit with it all My dad died when I was 22, and it shook my whole world up. The completeness, the finality of someone dying. God, it was, it is so hard to comprehend. I experienced a depression that mixed the grief and loss with the heartbreak of lost chances, and a new understanding that the world can be hard and cruel, and that we're absolutely powerless in the face of random circumstance. But also, I know people who have had freaky, serendipitous things happen to them. I myself had a friend tell me that I was pregnant and that it was a girl the day that I conceived Kenzie because she saw the glow of a spirit in my womb. I don't know how to explain that. I do love that it happened though. Losing my dad and having my kids are both points in time where I've had the stark reminder of how tenuous our time he really is. It overwhelmed me and it scared me, though somehow the power and immediacy of that truth dulls over time. Maybe that's a return to good mental health, maybe it's the coping mechanism we all have so we're not all twitching in a corner while we wait for the end. I don't know. But is there a grand plan? Are there just things we don't have the ability to measure yet but will one day be explained? I really don't know. What I do know is that loss is hard. And it's hard in different ways for different people. And if you're feeling the grief right now, especially so close to Mother's Day, I just want to say I'm sorry, and I see you, and I hope you're okay. If you're not okay, that's okay too. But please reach out, please tell somebody, and make sure you're getting the help you need. Also, what we're living through is hard. I can acknowledge how lucky I am and still tell you that none of us have a roadmap for how to get through a global pandemic. I was lucky to get some counselling and medication after Dad died, and therapy again after Kenzie was born. These tools help me get through difficult times, and I will use them again if I find I need them. And my advice to myself would be the same. Talk to somebody, get it out there, and accept the help that is available to you. Go gently, my friends. I've had so many messages about my Year 7 Diary with its Confessions of Undying Love for Mick. I'm still looking for it, and I'll share it as soon as I can find it. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would love if you could give it a review and a rating on whichever platform you're using. And also if you could share it as well, that would be very excellent. Uh, And if you could like my Facebook page, Extraordinary Ordinary, or Instagram, Extraordinary Ordinary Pod, I guarantee there'll only be 100% interesting-ish content. Thanks again for listening. I hope you get to cuddle some of your loved ones this week. And I hope it's extraordinary.